Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 201, How Understanding Why We Do Our Habit Can Lead to Instant Freedom with Horton McCormick. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. So I love this conversation that you're about to listen to. It is with uh, Horton McCormick, who is a change coach and also an Alan Carr practitioner. And Horton works with people who are looking to be free of a habit or addiction, primarily drinking, uh, but they're all the same, as you know. And I'm I'm just really fascinated with uh, Alan Carr's work. I'm really fascinated with uh, several people, other other practitioners and authors and coaches who have been at least in part inspired by Alan Carr's work, like Annie Grace and Jason Vale and others. I think I think this way of seeing why why our brain does what it does, why thought is showing up the way thought is showing up, and seeing that it is so intelligent and it is so not wrong. It is just thought, a mind, a brain, whatever, doing exactly what it's meant to be doing, what it thinks is best according to how it works. Seeing that that's behind our habits and addictions and anxiety and depression and all of it is just huge. And obviously, because that's what I, what my last book is all about and, you know, seeing that's just what minds do. So I love how Horton talks about this. He talks about it in terms of of a drinking habit. And again, as you listen to this, any habit, they're all the same. So you can substitute in anything. Um, But we talk about it kind of in relation to drinking here in this conversation about how seeing that it's just a brain when it wants alcohol, it's simply just trying to bring back to baseline the issue that it created with drink in the first place. So this has nothing to do with you, your habits and cravings and they have nothing to do with you, the kind of person you are, that you have some big horrible addiction. It's simply that there's a deficit in the brain when the alcohol wears off and then the brain says, hey, give me more of that. And then we innocently misunderstand that. We take that to mean I need to do this. I have a problem. I can't stop. All, all the stuff, all the stories that a mind will tell to make sense of it. So Horton says it better than I just did. That's just sort of the crux of it. But I really loved in this conversation how he talks about the two, these two massive changes that happened for him really completely effortlessly and very immediately and instantly. Um, one was around Dr. Sarno's work and, and back pain. And one was around Alan Carr's work and drinking and how having these massive insights that he didn't have to work at. He didn't have to do anything for them. He just read a couple books and and huge change happened. How that just made him so curious about how we work. And again, I I can very, very, very much relate to that because me too. I mean, it's like just the fact that people have spontaneous recovery even without reading anything what does that say about how we work and what's true of us? Like that has just been endlessly fascinating to me throughout my life, even early, you know, even in deciding to become a psychologist. Like, how can that be? It's crazy. So 
Horton talks about that. He talks about his his own change. He talks about his work now with people with habits. Uh, why why what we talked about here on Changeable was so attractive to him because it offers kind of the bigger foundation that answers some of those why questions or how questions like how is this even possible? Our work and what we talk about here on this show speaks to that. So anyway, I think you'll love this conversation. Um, and Horton's a great coach and I'll put his information in the show notes if you ever want to reach out to him. So enjoy this conversation with Horton. Hi, Horton. Thank you so much for coming on Changeable. Amy, uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited. So, um, so maybe to kick us off, uh, tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into this work. So you're, you're a change coach and you, uh, you help people with drinking habits amongst other things, many other things that get wrapped up in that. Um, so yeah, what kind of brought you into this work? My first brush with any type of material like this was 30 plus years ago. Uh, I was experiencing horrible back pain, debilitating back pain. And uh, I was searching for, for something to help me. And I stumbled across a book by uh, Dr. John Sarno and uh, Healing Back Pain. And in reading that book, I felt that he was speaking directly to me. Like he, he, knew, he knew how I was thinking. And basically that the premise of that book is you are, you're not broken, you're just fine. And that your, your thoughts, uh, your brain uh, in response to helping you deal with stress creates back pain um, to distract you. And once you understand that that is the connection and how that works, the back pain just simply disappears. And I've been back pain free for 30 plus years. And the thing that I found interesting about that was you didn't have to mitigate the stress. Mm. You didn't have to mitigate anything about your life that was causing the stress that your mind was turning into back pain to protect you. You just needed to understand the link and it went away. So that was the very first brush with uh, this type of material. Wow. Years later, um, I, I wasn't searching uh, for the uh, Alan Carr product. I, I didn't think that I had a drinking problem. I saw myself as a normal drinker, but a rather heavy drinker. And by happenstance, I came across uh, the book, Easy Way to Control Alcohol by Alan Carr. And it just intrigued me. So I picked it up, started reading the book, and I had no desire to drink any further. And it was shocking to me. I had no idea what addiction was. Um, I wasn't looking for any sort of a cure here, um, but effortlessly for the past 15 plus years, um, had no need to drink. So I became fascinated with this process. You know, I was like, how in the world, you know, could, could psychology be associated with back pain, which is something physical. And then now with this car, this car, uh, process, you know, how to do framing. I wanted to understand why it worked. Yeah. Um, so I, I got in touch with John Dicey, who's the, uh, the global CEO of Alan Carr. And he and I have been very loose pen pals for the, for the past 15 years and uh, just kept up a conversation with him. And, you know, as, as time went on, I wanted to get closer to that organization to maybe offer this type of help to other people. And just before COVID started, uh, the planets lined up. 
and I was able to come on board uh, as a alcohol facilitator and have been doing that for the last couple of years. So that's that brought me to you, Amy. Wow. I love I love that. I mean, I'm so curious and I, like you, spend my days looking into these issues and studying all this. But even just hearing you talk about that, it is, it is crazy. Even when we know that it goes this way, even when we've seen so many yeah. people change and we've had our own dramatic change like that, you know, like just in that little bit that you just said, it's like, yeah, how the heck does that work? How is it that we become aware that, oh, this pain in my back has something to do with thought hanging around or whatever it is you heard in the, in the Alan Parr book, you know, that suddenly things can shift like that. So, so from where you are now, like, what, what is that about? You know, like, like, like for the drinking one in particular, what do you, what does it look to you like is best, you know, you know, like, what did you see when you read that book that shifted things? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Why would someone use their own motor skills to pick up a drink and consume it when they don't want to do it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very interesting problem. Yeah. And, you know, it turns out to be your thinking about it. It turns out to be your thinking about it. And, you know, with the car, with the car seminars, we, we don't focus on the reasons why you shouldn't drink, right? They're, we're not showing pictures of livers and car crashes and saying, you know, we avoid that. We're looking to why we do drink. And once you understand why you continue to take this, uh, this substance and, and, and how it interfaces with your brain, once that is understood, it's kind of like understanding a magic trick. Right, you're fooled by the magic trick until you see someone shows you how it's done. Then you're never fooled by it again. So it's the understanding of why simply frees you from the need to do it. So yeah, I love it so much, and it and it does. And obviously, I mean, it's exactly how I approach helping people with change and see over and over and over again that we everybody's fine when it comes to just beating themselves up for what they're doing and knowing why they shouldn't be doing it. Yet we think more of that is going to help, you know, oh, I must not really see the the problem here, or I must not be hard enough on myself or whatever all that stuff is. And that, that just takes us deeper into it. It's so counterintuitive, but also so obvious, as you say, no, it's seeing why we do it. And seeing that it actually makes perfect sense from a certain level, you know, like, like we are insane. We're doing the things we're doing because they, they feel like they're either necessary or helping us or both on some level. Right. So to, to see that in a bigger sense, like, oh, this is why I keep doing that. Yeah. I love that. It just takes so much pressure off. Yeah. And it actually, so the, the, the only thing that I knew prior to, you know, being exposed to these subjects was willpower, right? Yeah. What, what else, what other tools do you have other than, wow, this is, I'm starting to feel bad when I drink and I shouldn't do it or smoke or, or you know, any other type of thing. So, you know, I, I want to push against it and you push against it. And the more you pay attention to it and the harder you push, the bigger it gets. The problem seems to compound itself the more you press against it. But if you look the other way, you know, the premise that, you know, I, I'm really not broken. There's nothing wrong with me. 
I just happen to be tangled up in this thought that that keeps compounding this problem. And again, just like we discussed, once you see through it, it's it's effortless to stop. It's actually once you see it for what it is, it's absurdly easy. It's almost like you, you can't do it once you see how it operates. Yeah. So so why do people drink then? And again, uh, for everyone listening, I mean, we talk about drinking, but of course, this applies to anything and everything. But we'll just we'll just use drink because it's easier than saying anything and everything a million times. So, so yeah. like, why is it when someone knows they don't want to be doing this and it's causing problems in their life, yet they feel stuck in it? What's going on there? Yeah. Well, if you so any addictive substance, we're talking about alcohol and you know any addictive substance, if you, if you create a baseline, and let's call baseline normal, and by normal, I mean uh, having no need to drink alcohol, those who don't drink, we'll call them normal. When you, you take the drug, uh, your body processes it, and it causes withdrawal. And the withdrawal is very, very slight. Withdrawal from alcohol feels like an empty, insecure feeling, very, very similar to normal stress. Most people are not even aware of it. Um, but that's what alcohol withdrawal feels like when you have the next drink, that uneasy feeling goes because that next dose of the drug removes the withdrawal and you feel better. So what you're really experiencing when you're having a drink isn't a boost or a positive experience. It's just a return back to normal, right? Withdrawal brings you down. Having a drink turns you back toward normal. And this relief feels like a positive impact. Um, and, and this starts a, a, a long chain of, Withdrawal, withdrawal, relief, withdrawal, withdrawal, relief. Um, and that's, that's what keeps you involved with it. You, you believe that this is necessary because you, you're feeling bad. You have a drink, you feel better. And you think, ah, the drink is solving this problem. Yeah. But the only problem that it's solving is the withdrawal that it causes. So yeah. the, the, the alcohol that you're consuming is causing the need to consume it only to perpetuate it indefinitely. That piece is so huge. And that was so huge for me when I, I read the Alan Carr book to stop smoking was like, you know, I had all these fantasies about how amazing smoking was in my life, that it did all of this stuff for me. And I think sure. it's probably similar with any substance or even any habit, you know, we can talk about substance and it makes sense. But I think even, even, you know, someone who let's say has a habit about seeking approval, there's still, I think in the brain, this high that gets created when they get that approval and then this kind of withdrawal feeling that happens again it might not be physical in the exact same way a substance is but we can we can map it to anything but but yes like how someone who has a habit or addiction has all of these fantasies about how this this substance or behavior is doing so much for them and i just think that's so huge to see no it's not actually doing any, it, it's only bringing you back up to baseline from the problem that it's creating. That, that, is, that is exactly correct. You, and, it, and the weight gets heavier, doesn't it? You know, the deeper you get into it, uh, the more it compounds your life and the more frantic the psychology is around it. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I guess the reason why I was attracted to this was once you're free, the relief was incredible. The relief was absolutely incredible. It wasn't until I stopped that I realized how much it was affecting my life. Yeah. And it was affecting my life in so many different ways. And once you're free of it, uh, you have the time and you're not being 
you're, you know, you're not being affected by a drug and life just starts unfolding, you know, a little bit better day by day by day. And the, and the, it just grows. So it's a, it's a wonderful feeling to be on this side of the drink rather than the other side of the drink. And it's, it's easy to do it. It's as easy as understanding and changing your mind. And your mind won't let you see that piece of it, which is so huge. That's another thing I see a lot. It's like when you're in the habit, you're, you can't even fathom in a sense that what you're saying right now, you know, that an even greater level of freedom, oh my gosh, beyond what you can even imagine is available on the other side of this because we're so in it. it I just think, I don't know, I just think that's hard to fathom. And so that's okay too. You know, I think for people who who are caught up in a habit, it's okay that you don't really maybe feel in a deep way or know for sure what Horton's saying right now that that's going to be the case. But you hear enough stories from people who are on the other side of things and and they aren't managing and coping for life. I think that's what I thought a lot with food and and definitely with cigarettes, but with food as well, that okay, I might manage to get this thing under control, but my life's not going to be very great because I'm going to have to monitor and manage every single thing I put in my mouth for the rest of my life. And I just, and I know with drinking, that's the case too. Like, okay, I can choose to not drink, but I'll never have fun at parties again and I'll never relax and socialize and all those stories. And just to hear from people who have been on the other side that it really isn't like that. No, I, I would agree. It's it's almost like the addiction or habit. It's um, part of it is concealing itself. Yeah. It's it's different when you're in it. You can't see it for what it is. Once you're out of it, oh, it's just so clear. It's just so crystal clear. But yeah, you know, part of the part of I guess the addictive process is to hide itself and, and to keep you trapped. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because and you're in that that cycle of just trying to get back to baseline, you know, but I think too, like, what's it like to kind of help people see that when you stop taking this substance or doing this behavior, baseline bounces back or base, I mean, it really rises even higher than it was usually when you're in the habit or addiction. But I don't know. I don't really, I'm not asking the question well, but there's something I, I'm just in the mind of someone who's caught up in this feeling like, okay, the only way I can feel halfway human is to have my drink or my food or whatever it is. How, how do we kind of help them see? Not really. <laughs> like, yes, it might yeah. be uncomfortable for a little bit, but, but there's, there's, a, there's a health there that's going to return on its own when we stop. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. So um, when you're when you're in the addiction, when you're involved with you know smoking or drinking or whatever you're involved with, you in your mind you are broken in some way. There 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 there's something that's wrong with you. I guess is the word we could use, and that this substance is helping you with that. But in actuality, you are perfectly happy and healthy underneath it all. There's nothing wrong with you at all. You've simply picked up an addiction that looks awful, awful real. It makes you think that, oh my God, I cannot survive without this. I have to have it. This is this is my missing piece that I have to put back onto, into myself to then to become a whole person. And that is simply an illusion that's created by the, the drug itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Again, just like I explained how 
how withdrawal creates this chain of, of drinks or cigarettes as you move forward. Once you see yourself as a completely healthy person and understand how the drug trapped you, um, you simply return back to the healthy you that was already there. You're, re- you're going back to something that you didn't think you were. Um, and, and you are the, the healthiness just comes forward like you're like a blooming flower. If there's an, if there's an analogy that I could use there. Yeah. yeah. And that's the beauty in, in looking in this direction, like knowing that we have innate health because exactly before that, it's like, we're just living in this psychological realm of trying to chase the next thing or fix the problem constantly. Right. So alcohol becomes yeah. a fix to a problem and then it becomes a huge problem. And there's the cycle as it's like, where's the yeah. fix to the problem? And every fix just ends up becoming a problem in itself usually. So, but, but you know, if people don't have this sense that by default, like do nothing, you are well, then of course, all we're going to do is just try to chase solutions and fix problems. So yeah, that piece is just gigantic. Yeah. And it, it has a tendency to compound itself. And and one of the reasons why I, I, I found you and, you know, uh, change coach type things is that um, people have a, uh, there's a, there's a psychological maintenance that we, that we undergo every day. We process rejection. We process stress. We process even success, right? Some people's success hurts them. Um, And those are things that you need to, to deal with every day as a human being. And, and what, what I saw when, when I was free with the car method is that, I saw that day-to-day psychological maintenance kind of like an onion, that you would peel back the layers of the onion, mm-hmm. um, and that the addiction was really saran wrap, food wrap around that onion. Mm-hmm. And what I was doing is I was maintaining the addiction to the expense of many other things in my life, right? And when I got free, I was like, oh, now I understand. I, the, the, the addiction was a saran wrap. It is now removed, and now I have complete access to to this onion that I can peel back. And that's exactly what started happening. You know, I, um, relationships improved, um, my health improved and th- that healthy person that was underneath the addiction just revealed itself effortlessly. And in a sense, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go right ahead. Go ahead. So, so what I'm hearing in that is again, a kind of a parallel with the Sarno work in that this, the, the, alcohol, you know, that's the saran wrap around it. And that becomes like all there is. And then the yeah. depth of life and the, the things to feel that are actually safe to feel and the relationships, all of that, you just can't even get to it. And, and in a way, I think that's kind of what you said about Sarno's views on like, like why your back was hurting so much, because there's a afraid to look, there's a whole onion in there that we don't want to look at. Is that, is that accurate? Or is that fair? I, to no, I, that no, I like that. Yeah, no, you, um, I would agree with that. We tend to run away from addressing these issues because we know we can't fix them, right? We, I was pushing so hard against alcohol. Now, when I discovered this book, I think, as I said earlier, I really didn't think that I had a problem. Um, and, it, you know, it wasn't until I was free that you see it so clearly. And it turns out that the solution is really taking a close look at the problem. Right, we're we are we are drinking and we're we're smoking and we're doing some other things, habits to to 
to control things that we think that need to be controlled in our lives. And we're spending time focused on the addiction rather than looking at what the problem is. But if you pivot and look at it and start analyzing it, you realize that it doesn't have much weight, right? That it, the, the, the more you look at this problem, the more you dig into it. And that's what we do in the CAR seminar is we sit down and over a period of time discuss why this happens. And once you see why it happens, it's, there's no fear there anymore. It's okay to look at why you're doing these things. Matter of fact, the closer you look at them, the more you realize, oh, I'm learning about this and I don't have to continue it. Right. So it's the, it's the part of the avoidance that kind of keeps it in place. And once you focus on it uh, is when you start solving your problems. Yes. And, and you're helping people and me too, like we're helping them look at it as just this neutral thing that happens. Like I love to talk about how it's just a mechanical process and it's just, it's not you, it's not personal. It's not that you're a drunk or a weak person or any of that. I mean, it's just a brain process, just conditioning that gets going and strengthens itself. And so from that space of like, absolutely no judgment, every human's mind does this around all kinds of different things. I think all of that is so cool. And to see that it's built on a foundation of innate health, all of that just seems to kind of really open people to finally look, maybe for the first time. It's just so freeing it, to, to, to finally understand that this addiction or this habit um, is not me. Yeah. It, it's just, it wasn't me at all. It was a thought construct that I held in my head. Um, and then I could look back over my life and go, oh, now I, now I understand why this happened. Now, now I get it. It, it wasn't me. I'm not a bad person. Um, I, I don't have flawed genetics. It was just a bundle of thought that I thought was real. Um, and once dispelled, just so freeing. Just, it's a delight. Yeah, that's so cool. How, how does it go? Like I imagine probably like a lot of things, um, sometimes people have these pretty big insights, kind of like you had where you read the book and you just kind of, I don't even know if you'd call it an insight, but on some level, like you just, it just looks different. Everything looks, looks different, right? Mm-hmm. And then others kind of go in and out with it a little bit more. I'm just curious, like if someone kind of has a sense of this and then crave, do cravings still show up for people? And how, how do you kind of work with people when that happens? Well, with, with, uh, with addiction, with alcohol, um, we can get you free uh, of, the, of the addiction, but it's your responsibility to stay free of the addiction. Yeah. So if you, you know, you're spontaneous. So it, I, I, my story, but uh, I can discuss this. So when I read the book, um, I got about halfway through and I, the, the need to drink alcohol spontaneously left me. I had, it was almost like an epiphany. And I was like, well, that's weird. I mean, in just one, one second, I wanted to have a cocktail and the next second I had no desire to do it. So I put the book down and I effortlessly didn't drink for uh, uh, quite some time. Maybe it was a couple of months. This was 16 years ago, so I can't remember. Um, and then ended up having a drink somewhere, right? You know, I, I felt good. I felt like I was in control of the substance and ended up having a drink, which brought me right back into the trap again. And I thought that I had, I thought that I had given a gift from God back. I was effortlessly free. And now all of a sudden, you know, I wanted to have a drink when I got home. And then it dawned on me, 
hey, read the book again. The book got you free. So let's re-engage with the book. And I sat down and in one day read it cover to cover. In one session, you know, three, four, uh, about probably eight hour session, read the book. And I didn't have an epiphany, but I also never had another cocktail for the rest of my life. So it's just about staying curious, right? Stay in the conversation. Um, and as long as you do that and engage in the material, um, you can get free of, you know, any addiction or habit. And I think like, like we've been saying, the education piece of this feels huge. There is something that happens beyond the mind, beyond thinking that feels like a shift, a shit, some kind of shift in consciousness that we'll never be able to describe in words. But I think that I just feel that this is really important in my work as well. And I think it is in the car work that this understanding we're talking about, about seeing, okay, when and if this thought comes up again, this is all that it is. So like from that time after you had that drink, yeah, your your machinery is like, oh, that was okay. And it's going to keep talking about it again. So even after you read the book the second time, you didn't feel like you had this major epiphany. You might have still have some thoughts about alcohol. I mean, hello, like people will, you know, I think this is so huge for us to see. Like your mind is still going to want to talk about that substance at times. It might be very emotional even. You might really, really want it. But with that understanding of like, oh, this is just my brain going back to that. Then, then we just get to ride that, you know, and just take it as it comes. Yeah, I see. I see your point. Yeah. So when I, when I got free from alcohol, I drank for about 25, 26 years. So then had no need to, to have a drink, but the thought of alcohol entered my mind, right? Yeah. You would go out to the restaurants, you'd see, I go into bars you know, go to business meetings and people are having cocktails. So absolutely, the, the thoughts about drinking, about alcohol uh, were still in my head. They just had no weight anymore. They weren't sticky, Yeah. right? I don't like hard-boiled eggs. So if, if my wife wants to make hard-boiled eggs, I can sit there at the table and watch her eat them, but I'm never going to have a hard-boiled egg. That's what, that's what alcohol became. It was very precious. I don't know why, but when I got home, I wanted to drink to the point, once I understand how the trap work, trap worked, it was effortless not to drink anymore because I guess an odd connection never did it before, but my drinking became, alcohol became like a hard boiled egg to me. I had, I had no desire to do it, but the thoughts were still there. Yeah. The thoughts were still there. And even if they have a little bit of energy to them, like, you know, for someone, again, I still feel like there's a. Now there's a framework where they can make sense of that in a different way. So if we don't know any of this and you have this urge to drink and it really kind of feels like an urge, I think naturally our mind is going to say, oh, I need this. I'm not going to feel better until I have it. This is part of my problem. The story is going to go in one direction, right? Whereas now, like, let's just say you woke up and you, you, you know, really wanted a drink for some reason and it really had some energy to it you're going to know, or someone else in this case, you know, like they're going to know something about that. Now, you, again, another great point. So in the, uh, in the car seminars, we call that the monsters, right? So pri- prior to you ever having a drink, you had no, no alcohol monsters you know, in your psyche. You have a drink and we explained how withdrawal creates that. Um, and those monsters, so when when I have the thought, I want a drink, I realize that's not Horton wanting the drink. 
that's the monsters in my head caused by addiction to alcohol mm-hmm. that are that is talking to me and that is clearly identified and i you just simply it has no weight they're not sticky thoughts oh they're there there's that monster again saying that i want to drink but that's not me you pivot the other way and it just simply goes away yeah. thoughts come and go just like this thought came and go came and went and that's functionally how you stay free yeah it's similar to um Jack Trimpey's work on the addictive voice, he calls it. I mean, there's a lot yes. of things that, yeah, you could just yep, yep. be that for what it is and realize, yeah, this that's just mechanical. That's just habitual. It's, yeah. It, it wasn't there before I took my first drink. When right. the first drink was taken, th- that's when these are created. And that's when my hitchhikers came on board. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I had a, a similar experience that I don't think I've shared here. So I'll just share it in this context. Um, I read... Jason Vale's book. And I, I don't know if you know him. I don't even know the name of the book anymore. Um, but I heard about him through Annie Grace. And I think both of them were really uh, influenced by Alan Carr's work. Mm-hmm. I just read it, it, but it's around drinking and around similar. Uh, and, and I read it for research because I was going to talk with him about something, uh, you know, not looking for any kind of change. And I, I was and am just a very social drinker, not very often at all. Uh, but I read his book and I read Annie Grace's book around the same time. And like you, I just I just had absolutely no interest in even the little bit of social drinking I, wa- I was doing. And I didn't drink for like a year. And then I did just around like a holiday party or something. And again, it didn't come back as a monster or anything because it was never really there as a monster. But, mm-hmm. but now it's just still something I can take it or leave it, but I do it. I, I just don't feel like I need to completely put it out of my life for any reason. But I don't know, I just want to share that because I think there's just something really to what I remember about that book, both of those books really was a lot of the talk around it just being a poison and like, why would we do this? But then seeing just how brainwashed we are by advertising and the world to see it in a different way. And I think for me, again, who knows, but that's what sticks with me. So I think there was something in that that really clicked that was like, oh, this was not what I thought it was. I, my, and, exactly. but, and I just love how it speaks to that in such a clear way. Like, oh yeah, my mind was telling me, I really like this. I enjoy it. It's fun. No big deal. Take it or leave it. And then I sort of saw this other side of it. Like, and just like what you just said reminded me of it. Cause it's like, everybody just hates their first drink. It's disgusting. I remember being so sick after my first cigarette. I had to force myself to, to get used to it. And you forget that. Your mind won't let you remember that stuff, you know, until you remember. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you look back, you know, while, while, you're, while you're in the trap still, you look back and everything's rosy, right? You know, the, the, the lower the drug takes you, the, the more you crave it and the, and the more excuses that you make. Yeah. So yeah, our, our mind does a great job of trying to block that from us and keep us keeping us, you know, in the addiction. Absolutely. So so when you came across uh, the work that we do, like in the change coach training and that kind of stuff, how how did that um, kind of meld in with what the, what you were already seeing and doing? Yeah. So I I was very curious about why this worked. Right. And, you know, if if Sarno is the key to unlock your back pain and car is the key to unlock addiction, what does the lock look like? Mm-hmm. What, why does that work? What's the mechanism? 
Um, and of course, I was listening to John Dicey on your podcast and heard your side of the conversation. And I was like, whoa, Amy Johnson is asking all of the right questions here. <laughs> then I started engaging in your material. And I was like, oh, this explains why. I was you know, trying to figure out how, how the mind worked. What, why, why are we trapped by this? You know, wh- how does our thinking work? And your work it started explaining that. Mm-hmm. It started explaining why that was happening on a more fundamental level. So the car work is very, very focused on addiction. It's a very narrow focus. But you kind of need to, to look up a little bit more. You need to open up a little bit more to see how the mind works. And when you were talking to John, I was like, I wish that I had someone like Amy to talk to me 16 years ago when I got off of alcohol because I was poised and ready for even more change. You know, once I was free of alcohol, I was like, wow, this was created by my mind. What else is created by my mind? Well, my back pain was, my drinking was, what else? What what else can we help with? And then hearing you speak to John, I was like, whoa, fundamentally, if this is, if this is our thinking, there's all kinds of things we can fix with this. And that's what was, that's what was, what drew me uh, to change coaching was to pick up with maybe where, where someone gets free from alcohol and then wants to make further improvement in their lives. Just some guidance based on what you've already learned through the car seminar, right? You've learned it. You've proved that it worked. What's next? Yeah. And if you've had saran wrap on your onion for a long period of time, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we can peel back. Right. So you can kind of ride the wave of success and to uh, and to really work out some other problems and really anchor anchor, um, you know, these benefits into your brain. I love that. I mean, the beauty in this super big picture, it's got, of course, at every level, I think of abstraction, like big pictureness versus more zoomed inness, you get some pros and cons. Like if you're really struggling with drinking and that's the only thing on your mind or a specific thing to go somewhere and really look at that specifically, look at you know what society's told you about drinking and what you've made of your thoughts about it. So helpful, so helpful. And then I love what you're saying that at some point you want to zoom out and see how, yeah, Drinking was no different from back pain, was no different from this marriage issue, is no different from anything else. Right. I love that so much. It like it it's and even in coaching, we talk a lot about that on a in a individual conversation with a person. Sometimes we're zoomed in to the, of course, you know, we're humans having a conversation. So it's all about them and their issues and how it's presenting for them. And then even in the course of that conversation, we tend to zoom out and start to show them the bigger picture of their health and how all these things are the same. Um, but yeah, that just, I don't know, that was a really good answer. That makes so much sense. I love that, you know, that this is in a way kind of a bigger foundation around all of it. And there's a place and a need for for conversations that look at all of those different points, the really big picture, but also sometimes the more zoomed in picture. No, oh, a- absolutely the case. There's also the situation where um, someone would come to me and it's maybe a parent saying, you know, my son or my daughter has an issue with alcohol, right? And what this, what change coaching allows me to do is it allows me to get in and talk to that person about their thinking and not bring up their addiction, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Because the minute you go to a child that's, you know, it's got a problem with this and you say, hey, I'm the guy here that's helping you with your addiction. There's right. a there's a wall that's built. The conversation shuts down. But if we can have a conversation with the parents and the and the child about, you know, hey, look, this is, you know, this is how we think. And and start the start the conversation um, and bring them along. It's just a way to have a discussion. It's very non-threatening. And the discussion uh, makes their lives better, even if they continue to drink. Yeah. Right? And then once they see that change can happen in this way, um, it makes it much easier to take the step and to, to address their addiction, if that's what their problem is. And they want to do it, right? There has to be a real want on the other person's side to change. Yeah. Right. And that, that speaks to what I see all the time in the little school of big change, which is that uh, often the thing that they come with is sort of the last to go. Because we aren't, right. we aren't immediately diving right in individually with each of them. I mean, questions come up and stuff, but we start really big picture and we stay big picture about how thought works and all of that. And people are, you know, all the time are like, oh my gosh, all these things have fallen away. My habit's still lingering, but all of this has happened. And I think to your point, it's like, yeah, because there's still a little preciousness there. There's a little defensiveness. There's a, I'm not ready to look at that yet, but it, but all of the bigger conversation starts to break those walls down. Exactly. And, and the, the less stressed you are, the more calm you are, the more that that monkey brain stops chattering, right? The more open you are for the next step. Yeah. So it's it's kind of quieting the mind down that just allows them to say, oh, yeah, maybe I can look in this direction. You know, there, we don't have to be afraid to look here because the fear, there, there is no real fear here. It's just a thought construct that quite possibly your addiction is is trying to protect protect itself from. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, once you're once you're open, um, then it's much more easy to take the next step. Uh I love, I love this conversation. If there's, I don't know, like what else? Is there anything that we haven't said? Or if there's anything that you think is kind of the big thing for someone to kind of consider when they first, when they're caught up in something and they want to start being free, what would that be? Stay curious. You, you have to stay curious. You have to stay in the conversation. Um, it's being curious about you know, my back pain, curious about my addiction, uh, or, or just curious about alcohol. I had no idea that I was addicted to alcohol. But staying curious um, always brings up the next solution. It always brings up the next solution. Um, and, and change is very easily done once you understand it. There, you know, how much effort is involved in changing your mind? Yeah. You know, okay. and, and that's really what happens. It's really what happens. There's an education process that needs to take place. You need to invest some time to get there. But uh, once it's clear, um, it's effortless and the rewards are just so great. They're so great. Yeah. Worth taking the chance. Awesome. Thank you so much, Horton. I think uh, I'm excited for people to hear this. And I think for sure, anyone who has issues with drinking or any habit, they're just going to hear so much in this. And And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Amy. I appreciate it. This year's Little School of Big Change live event is almost here. It's in just 11 days from June 3rd to June 5th in Chicago, Illinois. I'd love to spend two and a half days exploring life appearing as everything this year's theme with you and an awesome group of others. 
Head over to drimyjohnson.com slash LSBC Live 2022 to register before it's too late. If you benefit from this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a quick review of it on iTunes. Listener reviews go a really long way in attracting brand new listeners to this new paradigm. And they show me that you're listening and that you're benefiting from what you hear, which frankly goes a really long way in encouraging me to keep recording. Thank you so much to those of you who have reviewed it already. I really appreciate you. And thank you so much for considering it if you haven't yet.